Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Cheese Room Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Jolly, coming to you from Sydney. And with a name like that, what else could I be? Uh, When we planned doing this podcast about um, a week ago or so, things weren't looking so great because we just had one of our most dire performances um, of the last 10 or 15 years against Bournemouth. And we decided to do a show called The Tottenham Way. And to try and cheer everybody up, we said, let's get the two most positive people that there are in the Tottenham landscape out there. That is namely Gary Stevens and Mickey Hazard, the one and the only dynamic duo. Um, and Paul Fellows was going to be hosting. Unfortunately, he's pulled up a bit lame from a trip to the doctor. So it's me, Mr. Jolly. So now we've got the three most positive people in the Tottenham world all together. Let's get ready to rock and roll and start with you, Gary. Let's not mess about. The Tottenham way, mate. Is this a real thing? When you first came to Tottenham, um, how was that kind of taught to you, ingrained in you? Were you familiar with it? And how did, how did you react to playing the Tottenham way? Well, I, I think I was very much aware of the Tottenham way um, because I just spent five seasons at Brighton Football Club, four seasons in the top flight, and obviously we'd competed against Spurs. And as a kid, I'd followed all of the football avidly. And, you know, you, you read about and you hear about and you see the different ways that teams and clubs play. Um, but if I tell you when I, I first joined the club, before I even signed my contract, I probably spent three hours chatting with Peter Shreve, who was then the assistant manager to Keith Birkinshaw, and also to Keith, who was on the telephone because he was away at the time. And, and we were talking football, um, how they believed that football should be played, um, my thoughts on football how they thought I could fit into the team, why they wanted to sign me because what they'd seen in me, where they were trying to take the club and how they were going to try and take the club further forward. Um, And the priority was the football. It wasn't get you signed here, get your salary sorted out and we'll go from there. The priority was the football and nothing else. Um, And I guess the, the Tottenham way from 
my recollection goes back to Bill Nicholson, you know, when he joined the club in 58, admittedly before I was born, but, you know, I know the history of the club because it was something I certainly looked into and I've followed closely. But, you know, when they won the double in 61 and then the FA Cup in 62, the Cup Winners' Cup in 63, great players, Mackay, Jimmy Greaves, um, when they won the UEFA Cup in 72, I think they then became the first club to have won two different European trophies. Um, and then closer to my time and part of my time there, you know, players who expressed themselves, top players, Glenn Hoddle, you know, World Cup winners, Ardiles and Villa. Um, and when I joined, you know, the, a couple of years earlier, they'd just won the FA Cup in 81 and 82. And, and there was a swagger and a style and a, and a way of playing. And yes, you have to win games. Yes, you have to win trophies. Um, but there was a belief within the club that I was very aware of and was made very aware to me that, yes, winning is important, but there's a way to win also. Um, and there was a, a responsibility on us as players to entertain the crowd and excite the crowd as well. Um, so I wouldn't have said it was it was kind of one big speech that introduced me to it. It was an accumulation over a period of time and my gradual kind of, or the way I was gradually influenced once I joined the club. Uh, fan, that's a fantastic description of it. And perhaps nobody, well, well one of the people who epitomised that style and panache way of playing uh, was Mickey Hazard. I remember as a kid, I only really wanted to be a striker, and but watching the way Mickey Hazard played in the midfield, mate, the way you sprayed balls around the park, the little runs, the control, the trickery, the finishing, I mean, you kind of epitomised it, didn't you? Did you come to Tottenham with that particular style of playing? I mean, Gary said that when he came to Tottenham, he kind of was already a cultured footballer. Were you a cultured footballer as a teenager as well? <laughs> well, I, I think as a teenager, I wasn't really aware of uh, the Tottenham way. Um, I was aware of the way that I wanted to play the game, the way that my dad had instilled in me on how the game should be played, flair, creativity, all of those things. Uh, that's how I always wanted to play the game. That's how I believed the game should be played. So when I arrived at Tottenham, it was a breath of fresh air um, to go into training and not just be coached to play the game that way, but also spoken about in the way that, as, as Gary just touched on before he signed, his meeting was based on the football and the type of football that was going to play. You know, Tottenham have a, an history, a tradition, a philosophy, a style of play that has been renowned with Tottenham for a football club. So, of course, to go into training and be coached that way, to, to express yourself, to try things, to, to dare is to do, or dare is to say. Our motto is, is the way that they preach us to play the game. You know, Try something, express yourself, don't be afraid. If you fail once, go again. Um, don't don't hide because it's it's not worked. Um, keep going and going. And Glenn Oddle, for me, was one of the best uh, players to, to ever adhere to that philosophy because, you know, Glenn would try a wonder pass and it wouldn't come off but the next minute he'd be trying the same pass and it might not come off three or four times but then it'd come off and it'd create a goal or score a goal you know so uh, don't be afraid no fear play without fear uh, express yourself move the ball quickly uh, trickery skill all of those things um, but also the, the spoken word you know, the way they spoke to us and uh, about these this Tottenham way you know 
for instance, the North London derby, we were brought up on what it meant to the club, what it meant to the fans, what it meant to us as players. Uh, we could become a hero of, overnight by uh, performing and winning in the North London derby. So when we were eventually getting into playing one, we would be um, ready to play that game and, and understand what it meant to us as a, as a football club. Um, so yes, great preparation, um, great upbringing. I, I've got to say every every youngster um, who plays the game of football and plays it the right way um, should be brought up, up on those philosophies. And if you look at, and, and as Gary touched on, if you look on the players, certainly during my era that we signed um, and added within the club, you know, people like Gary Stevens, who was a cultured footballing centre-back, we, we had Ozzy Ardiles, as, as Gary said, wonderful footballer, Ricky Villiers. Well, within that, we had Glenn Odell, one of the most gifted, natural flair, creative footballers you'll ever likely to see. And every signing we made during that era was was fit in with the Tottenham way and, and, and obviously enabled us to to play to that style. And, and, and I've got to be honest, as a, as a player who played within that style, um, it was and is the only style how the game should be played. Uh, and I love that style and I know it suited every player during that era. They only ever wanted to play that way. No good signing a Gary Stevens as a centre-back who, who comes in and wants to play football if the rest of you don't. You know, so every player that was brought in could play the game the way, the, the Tottenham way. So, yeah, for me, it's a, a 100% yes, there is a Tottenham way. Um, do we play to it all of the time? Not necessarily. Um, but there's an attempt to, so that's the key. You must try and play that way, and there'll be games where you don't, um, and that's when you've got to dig in and scrap. I, I think it's great that Mickey mentioned there were times where you don't, and obviously later in the show today, we're going to talk about um, more recent Tottenham managers, in particular Pochettino, and we'll talk about Jose Mourinho, of course, which is the reason for the, the topic today. Uh, but in, in the meantime, Gary, just taking up on that point that Mickey mentioned about there were times when maybe you didn't, and just wondering about the different coaches. I mean, you played under under Birkinshaw and Shreves and oh, who was the other manager? Just losing my train of thought. Uh, yeah, da David Pleat, Terry David Venables. Pleat, that's right, Venables as well. So, were any of them more cynical or more likely to sort of like dig in sometimes and say we're going to have to put in a shift today and let's leave the style to the side? Were they were there times and how often were they and were they different between different managers? Well, well Mickey's just said that you know. There were times when, you know, you had to dig in and Keith Birkenshaw, you know, certainly at times got stuck into me along the lines of Gary, you want to play too much. Sometimes you maybe need to be a little bit safer. Sometimes actually you do just need to put it in the stand. You know, if you have a look at, um, although both these players were much better players, in my opinion, than some people would give them credit for, but... You know, if you look at some of the challenges from the likes of maybe Graham Roberts and, and Paul Maxi Miller at times, you know, they weren't particularly cultured. I, you know, I remember Robbo putting Charlie Nicholas through the advertising boards at uh, the old Arsenal ground at Highbury on one occasion. Um, so, you know, Keith Birkinshaw demanded of me to be less football orientated at times, probably um, after... Keith left, the, my next season was probably my best season at the club in many ways under Peter Shreve because I had a really, really good relationship with him and, and I liked the way he spoke to me as well um, and, it, and it worked. Um, I enjoyed Keith, of course, also. Um, 
but I suppose David Pleat was a bit more like Brian Clough to the extent that David Pleat never ever wanted us as a group of players to um, show any sort of disrespect towards the referee or the linesman. He didn't want us to try and influence him, just accept the decision and get on with it. Whereas Terry Venables, um, with his background, he wanted us at any and every opportunity to try to influence the referee. Um, totally different in style and contrast. But that those little kind of finer points of different coaches didn't ever take away the fact that we were still trying to play football by passing the ball through the thirds, creating, entertaining, scoring, and hopefully winning games. Mm. I mean, and that's what when I was introduced to following Tottenham, the first game I ever watched was the 1981 FA Cup final and, and the 82 Cup final and the replay, and of course the 84 UEFA Cup, and then watching Match of the Day on TV and Tottenham games were always full of goals. And one of the things that stays with me to this day, Mickey, was that the crowd used to sing boring, boring Arsenal because Arsenal, you know, the, the pre-Arsen Wenger Arsenal anyway, they were an awful team to watch with long balls up to strikers. Um, you know, what's your memory of, of Tottenham being compared to other teams at the time? What other teams were considered to be real top footballing teams? And, and how did you approach games differently if you were playing them as opposed to playing teams where they did play more of a long ball game? Um, I didn't enjoy the long ball games, I've got to be honest. When we used to play Wimbledon, who were re renowned long ballers, Watford, um, I, I, I knew that it was a war of wills. They were going to try and assert their game on us and we had to assert our game on them. Thankfully, most of the time we beat them, so, um, so we should because we were a better team, better footballers. Um, but ultimately, it created different problems for us because uh, if, you, if we were playing... Um, a Liverpool or a Manchester United who, who got the ball down and played in a similar way to us, that suited our style, so we're much more able to be creative and, and express ourselves and, and play our way. When you came up against the Wimbledon, they would push four up top, thereby stopping our four defenders getting the ball and playing through the different zones. Um, and it became a, a, a real battle of wheels. You had to have the belief and the confidence that um, you wanted the ball under extreme pressure but, and... and with the Wimbledon team in particular, uh, as Gary will vouch for, they had a real nasty streak in them. So they didn't mind taking you out. Um, so you knew that you had to be ultra brave against this type of team. You had to show for the ball, demand the ball, get on the ball, come what may, knowing that you risked getting hurt. Um, so it, 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 I much preferred the, the beautiful games when we played the Liverpools, the Man United. I hated coming up against Wimbledon because I knew it was a conflict of styles. Uh, and we were going to have to do things and try things that would risk injury. Um, whereas against the Liverpools, the Man United, it was who had the best players, who played better on the day, um, who got the ball down the most, who was who believed in their style the most. Um, and Liverpool at that particular time were the best team in Europe. But it was still fantastic to play against them because you got to pit your skills against the best team in Europe. Um, and... I was part of the team. I, I can't remember whether Gary was or not. That won its first game in, in, in Anfield in 72 years. Uh, we won 1-0 and it was the celebrations were incredible. So, yeah, I, I much preferred the 
the, the wonderful passing, flowing games as against the up and under Wimbledon type games because it was um, there was a, all week in training we'd prepare uh, and the reserves would be playing the Wimbledon way. They would be booting balls up in the air and it would be boring and dull and uh, you'd not really learn anything. You just learned how to battle and how to to fight and how to make sure that you were brave and um, and got the ball down, come what may, and, and asserted your game on them. But it was it was pretty boring week. So once it was passed, it was something to look forward to. It was gone. Um, but give me a, a beautiful game of football. I'd rather play Barcelona than Wimbledon because I knew that I was going to enjoy the game. That was the key for me. Well, that's ironic that you mentioned Barcelona because I was just thinking of that that game in 81-82, I think, uh, the European game where they came. Yeah, I remember it well. The, the, I, the, when I was searching up you up on Google to show my wife the proof that you were a legend, um, that's one of the images that popped up. It's you storming towards the centre of the park. It looks like you're about to grab someone around the neck. Talk about that because a lot of people think that Barcelona have always been, you know, cultured team, uh, you know, such a cultured team. But before Johan Cruyff went there, to coach them in you know in the late 80s they were quite a cynical outfit weren't they i mean tottenham would have been the more cultured team uh, incredibly cynical team and 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 um, we played them in the semi final of the cup winners cup over two legs and um, i have to say that i've just spoken about wimbledon and how um, it was almost bordering on violence uh, when you played them but barcelona that that particular tie we were far superior team on the football in front. Uh, they kicked us from pillar to post. They spat at us. They pulled our jerseys. They kicked us. They every um, every time we got the ball, they were trying to take us out. Um, and over two legs, I think they beat us one uh, two one over two legs. And 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 I thought that that was just a white on lane that they would do that. But when we got to when we got to bot. When we got to uh, Barcelona, they were even worse. Um, and over the two legs, we played them off the park over the two legs. But their cynicism and, 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 and um, total um, no respect for the rules of the game. Um, so, yeah, they weren't always the beautiful team that they, they have been over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and certainly since Johan Cruyff went there. Um, very, 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 very cynical. Um, and I would say that, yes, you're right. At that particular time, we were one of the best footballing teams in Europe. Um, and you only have to look through the list of our players uh, to see that. And, and, and in the end, eventually, we won a European trophy as a consequence of being, having some of the best players and the best style that was preached in Europe. So, But Barcelona, no, they weren't always what they are today. I wonder, Gary, it's an interesting point that both of you raise about the way that football was played and how what teams could get away with in the day. I'm just imagining if Jose Mourinho was coaching in the 80s before the foul from behind rule came in. I mean, a lot of tackles that you guys suffered would be straight red cards now. And, you know, I'm playing myself as a teenager, obviously, you know, just in a, you know, local standard football. But still, even then, you always knew you had one tackle where you could just take somebody out completely. So... When you talk about cynical football, you know, in the 70s and the 80s and even into the early, well, it's about the 1990 World Cup, isn't it, where they introduced the rule about the uh, the tackle from behind. And that was a little bit late for you, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I look back to my playing days and I, I sometimes boast the fact that I never served a domestic suspension and I never got sent off anywhere in my career. 
Um, now, I look back to some of the challenges that I put in at times, and I think, well, if that was today, you know, I would get a red card. Um, if I was playing today and challenging as I used to, and I was arguably one of the, the, the players who tried to intercept rather than crunch in, um, you know, I think I would have had some more disciplinary problems, to be perfectly honest with you. The only suspension I ever served was um, I got a second yellow card in the second leg of the UEFA Cup final, which meant I was suspended for the first game of the UEFA Cup final the following year when we tried to defend it. Um, listen, I, I think we can certainly get, if we're not careful, we can get carried away about talking about the past, how it used to be. Um, but although... You know, Mickey talks about the beautiful game and how at Spurs we tried to play the beautiful game all the time. You know, there were times when it was pretty ugly as well. And, you know, everybody talks to me about, you know, that successful Spurs squad and the talent that I was part of. Um, but we also had some poor performances then as well. Um, so I think... What time does is it kind of allows you to filter a little bit, and we all filter in our own favour, don't we? Um, so I, I'm sure if we if we looked back at the the entirety of a season, um, maybe one of the seasons where we went really close to winning the league, 84, 85 season. Well, in the end, we weren't particularly close behind Everton, but for a long part of the season, we were in with a good shout. I think we could quite easily select a lot of games where maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were, maybe we weren't as beautiful as we thought we were, maybe it was a little bit more ugly than we can remember. Interesting thoughts. A uh, little segue here, I've got a post up on the Cheese Room podcast, podcast Facebook page and I asked people in seven words or less to describe the Tottenham way, what it means to you and I'll just read a few out for you and See if you can kind of guess what age these people might be. Um, style, Harlow Globetrotter, style and flourish, not death and boredom. Michael Sherlin from Ospurs, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> uh, and then someone wrote, so nearly put that myself. Shout out to you, Simon King, the philosopher Kingy. Anthony Carlo, one of our top fans, lifelong love and torment. <laughs> Uh, I don't think about it that, like that way myself. I sort of see it as between the age of six and like 16, we won lots of trophies and we were amazing. And if I could have my life over, I would definitely not change it and be terrible when we were a, when I was a kid and good now because <laughs> uh, I probably might not be supporting Tottenham if that was the case. Um, Andrew Ormiston, two nil up, three two down, four three win, trophyless. That's more than seven words if you count each number as a word, but Andrew, good stuff. Um, Rad Jaburiel Shike, the Tottenham way in seven words. Hoddle, socks down, shirt out, long hair. John David, the game is about glory. Danny Blanchfowl, that's seven words, beautiful. Nick Suvla, doing things the hard way and so near yet so far. You cheated with two comments, that's eight words, Nico. Um, shout out to you. Keith J. Parker, aim high fall short that's fairly depressing wouldn't you say mickey <laughs> um well i think that uh, un unfortunately i think that 
if you look over the recent history or not even the recent, if you go back to sort of say 91, then the, the, the recent past that the vast majority of these players, will their fans will have lived through, will have been lived through the sort of the years where we haven't been fantastic team. We haven't won trophies. You know, if you go back pre pre-91, you know, the early 80s, we were very successful. The early 70s, very successful. The 60s, very successful. Um, and won the vast majority of our trophies as a club in those sort of three, four, four eras. If you go 50, 60, 70, 80s, uh, we won quite a lot of trophies. So the fans from that era wouldn't be saying the same things. Um, I get why today's fans, because I say the same. You know, I say that before I die, I want to see Tottenham Hotspur Football Club win the league title. Because when I was born in 60-61, that was the year we won the double. And we've never managed to to win the league. But as Gary said, we had a couple of occasions in my uh, era that we sh maybe should have gone on and won the title. But unfortunately, the Tottenham way almost probably cost us because always trying to play the game with creativity and flair sometimes leaves you vulnerable. And sometimes, as Gary said, we lost games that we shouldn't have. Um, and Gary says about, you know, the time sort of fading the memory. It never faded mine, Gary, because every time Spurs were crap, I never played. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he, but he's absolutely spot on. It does. And, and we sort of look back with um, almost, we almost believe that we never had a bad game or we never gave a bad pass away or we never this or we never that. But we did too. Um, and we had bad performances. And, and I remember losing to Brighton 1-0 at home when we had to win to go top of the table. You know, so there was bad, bad performances then, but the good performances made up for the bad performances because when we were good, we just absolutely set the world on fire. Everybody spoke about the way that we played this particular game. Um, whereas when we were bad, it never really got written about and we sort of blanked it from our memory as such. So it's, it's a great point from Gary and one that maybe we haven't really thought of, but it's true. Um, but yeah, I would imagine the vast majority of those fans sort of have lived through the last 20 years of Spurs rather than the previous 40. Let's fast forward now through most of the 90s because after 1991, there really isn't much to talk about until about 2004 or 2005. And I want to just talk about, we, we talk, you talked about this with Glenn Hoddle and, and you know, Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa and all of the, the amazing cultured players. Someone commented on the thread as well, Steve Archibald. That was their seven words or less. They just wrote Steve Archibald, another fantastic ball, play, ball playing striker. Be beautiful to watch, you know, sensual touch and great finishes. Um, but I want, I want to talk about the importance of players to be able to play like that and thinking about the sort of rebirth of Tottenham again as a footballing, a footballing side that, that won games under Martin Yole and later Harry Redknapp and the importance of players like, say, Luka Modric to being able to play the Tottenham way and how important are players like that? And, and if you can talk about Luka Modric a little bit, Gary, what was his impact on the Tottenham way, do you think, while, while he played for us, enabling us to kind of reinvigorate ourselves as, as a winning club that, that played at least won games, even if we didn't win trophies, and, and played the Tottenham style? Well, I think um, one thing that Luka Modric brought to Spurs was um, a self-belief um, that it didn't matter who the opponents were, it didn't matter how the team was playing, 
he had a way of playing himself um, and an ability to play himself that he didn't deviate from. Um, you know, so much of the game would go through him and invariably, if he was playing well, the, the team did pretty well. If he wasn't in the side because he was maybe out injured, then, you know, he was certainly missed in a big way. Um, you know, not big, not powerful, um, but was also, was very brave and very strong because, and Mickey mentioned this earlier in uh, one little segment where he said about bravery is getting on the ball, having the ball when it's not going particularly well, um, you know, receiving the ball in tight areas because you're helping a, a teammate out. Um, but But I think... He certainly, and when I say he, I mean Modric, certainly shortened the game. Because if you've got Modric in midfield, you don't bypass him, in my opinion. You play through him. And I think he definitely forced and influenced the side to, to play a, a shorter game, a, um, a faster passing game. You know, they talk about tempo in football, and people seem to think that's players running fast. You know, the tempo of a football game is controlled by how quickly you move the ball. So you move the ball a lot quicker by playing one touch than you do two touch. And of course, you move it quicker playing two touch than you do from a player who controls it, moves it, has another touch and then passes it on. So I think that uh, Modric's influence was pretty much on shortening the game and increasing the tempo of the game. Mm. Very perceptive as ever, Gary. I love that explanation of it. Think about another player, Mickey, that I hope you could comment on, Raphael van der Vaart. He's a guy who really was at Tottenham for a very short time, but he scored some big goals and celebrated wildly in front of Arsenal fans, you know, um, scoring a penalty when we came back and won 3-2 away. I nearly got arrested at a bar in Seoul. I did about 15 laps when we won that game. Uh, but I do digress. Van der Vaart is one of the reasons that he is so loved because he played football the Tottenham way. I'm thinking he's another player that fits Gary's description of shortening the game and just very clever and, and beautiful to watch. Yeah, no, 100%. But, I, I, I mean, look, if, if you want to find out about Spurs and, and, and the Tottenham way um, and, and talk about Van der Vaart and Modric and, and players of that ilk, if you went through every Spurs fan and asked them to name their 10 favourite ever footballers uh, who played for Spurs, you'd find Glenn Odell, Ozzy Ardiles, Van der Vaart, Modric, Ginola, players of this ilk would always... The Graham Roberts of this world might get in there, might not. Roberts was a fantastic footballer, fantastic footballer. Uh, he didn't play the game with the flair and creativity that the players that we're talking about are. But, but what it says is that these players, they reflect the Tottenham way, the Modric's of this world, the Berbatov's, uh, the players like this are a reflection of the Tottenham way. And this is what we say when we say um, Spurs would always sign, um, in general, try to sign players that fit in to the Tottenham way, as Gary touched on when he met with Birkenshaw and Shreves, uh, Shreves and spoke on the phone to Keith. It was talking to Gary about the Tottenham way and the, the style of football, the entertainment value as well. These players like Van der Vaart, like Modric, like Berbatov, Ginola, these players 
all fit into the Tottenham way. That's why they were bought by Spurs, because they would then play the game their way, but it would be Tottenham's way. Uh, and that's how we developed this reputation of having a Tottenham way because of the quality of and type of player that we signed. Um, but Van der Vaart, yes, loved watching him play, and played with passion, um, express his emotions were so expressive. If he scored a goal, he was like, he would celebrate with, it was almost like he was in amongst the fans, as a fan, shouting up and down and cheering, you know, and, and he became a, a cult hero with the fans as a consequence of that. But also, what a good, very, very good player. And, and, and in my opinion, didn't spend long enough at Spurs. I think he spent two years there, was it? Two or three yeah, years? that's right. Um, should have been there a lot longer. Um, played in the number 10 role just off the front, so I had the freedom um, that I would have craved, or Glenn Oden would have craved, uh, a freedom whereby we focused more on attack than defence, so he, he sort of didn't have to get back so much. So I'd often be found hanging out in space, and the modules of this world would feed the ball into him. Uh, and then he would go and express himself. So, yeah, super player. Loved his passion for the club. Loved his passion for the game, the way he celebrated a goal. It was wonderful. I wish I was as expressive um, as him in my... You know, I was a little bit shy when I celebrated. I saw sort of celebrated, but I, I wouldn't run and jump in the fans, for instance, because I was a bit shy. Um, and I'd love to have done that. Um, and now, if I did it today, I'd be in amongst them and singing my name, <laughs> you know. But, no, super player... But, but he fit in perfectly with the Tottenham way. So I want to come back, I want to talk about Pochettino a little bit now and, and hit on this idea of Mickey's been talking about the importance of, I guess, Tottenham signing Tottenham players. And did Pochettino get lucky? Uh, I've heard this expressed by numerous different people that I know through Tottenham, including at times even the Harlow Globetrotter analysts, that he got a bit lucky with the players that he, he had um, kind of in a purple patch of their career or in the, the prime of their career. If you, you look at people like Dembele, Ericsson, Ericsson's not doing so well at Inter at the moment, so you could argue that his prime might have gone uh, out of a world in, in his prime, a, a magical defender on the ball, a beautiful passer of the ball, erotic long balls, as, as we've described them before, um, Deli Ali in his pomp, uh, Harry Kane in the very peak of his powers, Sonning Min, you know, coming into things. All of these players, these expressive, um, you know, quality ball players, Dembele in particular, was what he did. Firstly, did it fit the Tottenham way? And was that only possible because of those players? And did he get found out in the end when they sort of uh, ran out of puff and Dembele retired and Ericsson went off the boil? Wow, there's about five questions there, to be honest with you. I've got a bit of <laughs> um, <word in> somehow. <laughs> Um, you know, first and foremost, when I, when I, I talk about football and, and I say to people, well, you know, do I want to be good or do I want to be lucky? I think I would always take lucky. Yes, of course, you need to be good, but you do need some good fortune. You know, you need to be in the right place at the right time. Um, what governs that? Um, maybe it's fate. Maybe it is good luck. Um, is it brilliant skill and perception from the person involved? Um, possibly. Possibly. Um, listen, Maurizio Pochettino took over at Spurs believing that he could develop and improve the group of players, could take them up a level within their Premier League um, or within the Premier League. Um, and he did it. I think you have to give 
full credit to Maurizio Pochettino for what he achieved. Um, but I don't think there's a manager anywhere in world football who either hasn't had a bad period that's followed a good period or hasn't had a good period that's followed a bad period because that's the nature of the beast. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, when you mention some of those names, you know, Deli Alley, um, you know, it, it was an inspirational signing from MK Dons, really. You know, did anybody truly think that Harry Kane was going to come through and be the, the goal scorer that he's become? You know, when you consider the number of times he was out on loan at, at different clubs, maybe there was a few people who thought he could, um, but there's no guarantees. You know, Son, you know, what an inspirational signing that was as well. Alderweireld, yeah, you know, all of these. But what you, you know, I look back to my, my playing career and it was, I spent 11 seasons in the top flight. And I'm going, how did I get relegated with Brighton when I list some of the fine players that were at Brighton? But the truth is, all those fine players weren't at the club at the same time. So when I first got in the team, Mark Lawrenson was playing, but when we got relegated, Lawrenson had left and gone to Liverpool, for example. Um, so you do need all your ingredients coming together at the right time. Possibly they did all come together favourably for Maurizio Pochettino, um, but I think he got the maximum out of them as well until this last season. Mm. You know, I'll always respect and love Maurizio Pochettino for quite a few different reasons. One, I got to go to Madrid to see us in the Champions League final, which, uh, you know... Amazing. An incredible experience. Can, you can know, I just say something about yeah, yeah, go, go on. Pochettino? It quite surprises me that people say he was looking, number one. And as both Gary and I uh, touched on earlier, um, you can have very, very good footballers. But if you don't introduce a style of play that enables those players to be successful, then you're not going to be successful. Mm. Now, this is where I sort of disagree that Pochettino was looking. He wasn't. He actually gave the players, and, and you rightly say they were very good players, Ericsson, Dembele, uh, Toby, etc., Jan, etc. They were all good players, but they needed a, a, a pl platform to be able to play the game the way they ended up playing it. And that's what Pochettino did, Pochettino did, and that's what his strength was. It was he recognised the quality of the players that he had, and he devised a system and a style of play, pretty much in keeping with the Tottenham way, to enable those players to flourish. Hmm. So I don't think there was any luck involved there. He, he actually transformed this team from sort of being run-of-the-mill to almost, and that's the sad thing about it, to almost being Champions League winners, to almost winning a Premier League, to almost winning a cup, you know, he transformed them into that. They became a very, very they actually became the best team in England, um, but didn't actually get over the line, which was the disappointing thing. There was no luck involved in it. He actually did a brilliant job um, preaching the Tottenham way too, but relating it to the players that he had at his disposal. And, that, and that's a very fair point. I mean, if you think about, say, compare even Harry Redknapp to him, I mean, we, we loved Harry, but remembering us getting stuffed by Real Madrid and compare that to under Pochettino destroying Real Madrid on a glory, glory night. That was at Wembley, I think, wasn't it? When uh, yes. we, beat, we beat them 3-1. I mean, and, and the football we played, not just the best in, in England, it was some of the best football in Europe. So It should have been seven. 
Oh yeah, inc- incredible, incredible, and so many incredible performances, and and also just the never say die attitude too. If you watch the second half of the Ajax game again, which I have about forty three times, um, it's, oh, I'm on my thousand. Thousand. There you go. You put me to shame. See, I, I'm gonna pass that one on to the misses a bit later. Not only was this guy a legend, he beats me as a fan as well. There you go. Um, <laughs> puts me to shame, but. You know, you what the attitude of the players and how many games we won late during not that run and even away against Manchester City, the most expensive team in history. But um, I do digress, and we, we probably should come back and talk about Jose. We can blame him for the title of this show and for for it ha- happening. Let's talk about Jose. Is he is he blown the Tottenham way out of the water, Gary? No, I don't believe so. I think he's trying to adjust it a little bit. Um, I don't think that the, the Tottenham way ever disappears. But I think what he's said is that Spurs have had a way of playing. Um, if you look at the success, and that is measured by trophies um, in the last 20 years, it really isn't good enough. So something needs to change, and it might not be a monstrous change. It might be a reasonably subtle change. Um, and I think that was the, the feeling of Daniel Levy as well. Um, you know, we need somebody at the helm who is going to introduce a different way to some extent, modify our way to some extent, um, be a little bit more... Um, result orientated um, in order to pick up some trophies um, and and I think we're starting to see that a little bit with uh, Jose in charge um, but I'm telling you if you start picking up some trophies you can then build on that with a little bit more style and maybe a little bit less functional, practical ways. Um, you know, there's two sides to this game, you know, and being fantastic and going forward is, is, is lovely, but if you aren't solid and strong defensively, then you're not going to succeed either. You know, if you have a little look at Liverpool, um, when Jurgen Klopp first came in, his first couple of seasons, you know, they, they might win 5-4 away from home somewhere. You know, you just didn't know what was. And in the end, he had to decide, I need to be stronger and more solid at the back. Um, and being stronger and more solid at the back actually starts at the front. So you defend as a, as a team. Um, and if you look at what Jose did most recently against Leicester, and he came out and said it afterwards, he said, we sat back. We let them, he actually said, we gave them possession. We wanted their three central defenders to play further up the park, have the ball further up the park. And then when we got it back, we would be able to counterattack them and get at them, you know, in the very early stages of their half. Um, And, you know, whether that pleases some people or not, I would have to say it was pretty damn successful with a 3-0 home win. And definitely exciting in its own way. But I've got a quick follow-up question for you on that, Gary. 
be honest. If you weren't in the studio with Astro Sports with the lights on at 1am or 2am or 3 o'clock in the morning, would you be able to sit through some of the football when we have 30% of the possession and it's pretty turgid? As fans in Australia and Asia, I think one of the things about Pochettino that he brought back for me in terms of, well, obviously Harry Redknapp as well and Modric, we talked about them, but mostly Pochettino, the style of play that we had, being, again, the best football team in, in England, getting up at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning, going to work with basically a lack of sleep hangover was fairly bearable. But at the moment, I've got to be honest, with two kids, another one is a baby at four months old, it's pretty hard to stay awake at night. I've got to stick toothpicks to keep my eyes open. Uh, what about you, mate? Would you be awake if you weren't being paid to be a pundit? Um, I think I would be a lot more selective as to what games I watched. <laughs> selective. Yeah, that's a nice <laughs> meaning none. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's that's my answer. Are you happy with yeah, that? That's fair enough. We can move on and come, come back to Mickey. So, Mickey, what about you? Are you a big Jose fan? Are you a wait and see? I'm kind of on the fence, to be honest with you. I I wonder whether. The last time he was really able to do big things on a small budget was when he was at Porto 15 or 16 years ago. Does he still have it in him to take us to the to trophies or has football moved on? And is it just the, 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 the boring aspect of his management style that remains with us? Like a lot of people are really upset, firstly, that he came to Tottenham and that he's managing us the way he is. How would you respond to those kind of people and, and how do you see him yourself? Well, first and foremost, you know, if you're going to lose a great manager in Pochettino that we did, then I think it was very, very important the follow-up, you know, the player, the the, man, the new manager that you got in, and we went and got the best manager in the game in in terms of success. Uh, the trophies won, except I think he's won something like 25 trophies. That's more than us as a club uh, in our history. So um, certainly, he was the the right size uh, signing cup wise. Um, I think it's important to remember with um, uh, Mourinho that we're still in the early throws of his reign. Um, you know, we talk about the lack of possession, of course. If I was playing in a team that had 30% possession, I think I'd die. Um, I'd die of boredom because I thrived when I was on the ball all of the time. If I wasn't getting the ball all of the time, then I would, I would be bored out my brains. Um, so, yes, of course. But what we must remember, Wiley is implementing this solidity to the team to, to slightly alter the style that we had under Maurizio whereby we dominated possession while sometimes leaving ourselves exposed at the back which is a Tottenham tradition um, he is changing the style slightly as Gary said but also until we get that inbuilt in the way that we play the game we are going to suffer uh, less possession but I, I, I say you know any manager new manager that comes in you have to give them two to three years to, to bring about change, to change to their philosophy and their way. I don't agree that the philosophy should be changed too much uh, from the Tottenham way, but it needs to be added to because the Tottenham way in the recent history hasn't won us trophies. So, OK, let's alter it slightly. Let's make us uh, more, more hard to beat uh, when we're not playing well. But let's um, add that to the Tottenham way. Uh, and then the two combined will make us successful. Um, but it's early days. He's implementing the style. We're starting to see the uh, the fruits of that change. We're not looking so vulnerable defensively at the moment, but we're not looking so good attackingly. Uh, and while the um, the performance against Leicester was very tactically, very clever, very shrewd, 
They had a couple of older centre-backs who, 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 by dragging them up to the halfway line to defend, um, uh, to attack, it meant that it left lots of spaces in behind for us to exploit. So it was very clever tactically. Um, and, and probably the game was won on the tactics that uh, Jose... So he still got the brains to actually work out how to win a game. I've got no doubt that he still can, can get a team to win trophies. Um, but can he get a team to win trophies his way and the Tottenham way? I'd like to think so because the signs in the recent games that, wow, this is starting to come together. We're starting to actually understand what he wants from us as a team. But also when we break, we're looking incredibly dangerous, incredibly threatening. Um, and that in itself is quite exciting when we break with pace. Um, and I think in time, um, we will enjoy a lot more possession. Once we, once this, uh, what he's implementing becomes natural to us. At the moment, we're having to concentrate and focus on it all of the time. And consequently, it's taken away from our, our dominant possession game. But once we've sort of mastered that way and, and, and um, it becomes more natural, then you'll find that we start getting more and more possession as we go. And certainly, um, do I see him winning a trophy? Yes, I do. I'll be very surprised if he doesn't win a trophy because he's a born winner, simple as. Um, and if he wins a trophy, then we'll, he, he'll be forgiven by the fans um, for anything, for, for that little bit of boredom that we've had maybe in the Bournemouth game, etc. Um, but he will find a way of winning a trophy and it will be a combination of the Tottenham way and the Jose Mourinho way, full stop. Well, there you go. That's a pretty good way to bring the main part of our podcast to an end. Uh, I did promise everybody some positivity. Um, let's just wrap it up with a, with a little bit of rapid-fire Q&A. Where I'll, I'm gonna, in today's q and I'm going to give you the name of a Tottenham player or manager, and I'm going to ask you, what would you, if you were sitting right next to them, what would you whisper in their ear to motivate them or to cheer them up right now? I'll start with you, Gary. If you were sitting right next to Harry Kane... What would you say to him right now? You're at the right club, Harry. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I like that, Steve. Here's, an, here's another one for you. Jose Mourinho. For me? Yeah, I'm, going, I'm, going to, I'm just going to go straight. I'll go straight through with you and then I'll go, back, go to Mickey with some for him. Okay. Win us a trophy, pal. <laughs> Deli Ali. I want you, not your brother. <laughs> there you go. You took that line from, from Jose. That's that's pretty good. What would you say to Jan Vertonghen? That's a pretty hard Silence. That's a Silence. Hard one. You'd be sitting next to him with nothing to say. Thanks for your service, buddy. You passed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've still got a great left foot. There you go. But hey, shout out to Jan Vertonghen. When we did, at the, last summer, we did a, a program at the best Tottenham signings of the Premier League, and Jan Vertonghen was in the top five. He... Yeah. Gee, if we just won a trophy or two, he'd be a Tottenham legend right up there with people like Graham Roberts and people like that. Played for He's us for nearly 10 player. years. Don't worry top, about that. Top player. Um, top the, player. The game he played against against Dortmund where he played wing back and we, we tore them Amazing. apart on the counter. Just a brilliant player. But yeah, what do you say to people when they're leaving a club and they, they don't play? It must be hard. Over to you, Mickey. Um, what would you say if you were sitting next to Son Min? Keep the smile on your face. 
The smiling assassin. My my son's name. Please, my son's middle name. When is he's Sonny, playing great, he's smiling all the time. Smiling all the time. Keep smiling. Gee, he's a brilliant player, and he's definitely important for the counter-attacking style we play, isn't he? Yeah, one hundred percent. Here's another one for you. What would you say if you were sitting right next to Harry Winks? Harry Winks, I would say, penetrate more. Oh, okay. You like it when he gets up uh, towards the edge of the penalty area? He passed the other night over the top. Uh, who was it to? Um, Sonny. When Sonny made the diagonal run and he put it over the top into his path, into his run. Um, I would say that if Harry Winks can can actually add creativity, that eye of the needle pass, that goal-scoring opportunity pass, then I think he'd become a top player. At the minute, he's too safe. Um, I'd, in fact, I probably should have said to Darius to do. Mm. If he can learn to Darius to do and not be afraid of failure, um, bang, he can be a top player. And uh, last one, what would you say to Tottenham fans who hate Jose Mourinho? Um, well, it's a good one. It's just a good one. I would say that give him time. Um, he will win us a trophy. It doesn't mean you'll ever love him, but you'll start to accept him. All right. Oh, well, steady on. Oh, we've got a bit of an interloper in the studio. It's Vlad here. Um, Hello. How are you? It's nice day. It's uh, jolly. Be quiet. No one wants to hear your ginger musings anymore. This is enough. It is a happy day. We have finished once more about the filth, and I want to ask for Mickey Hazard a very special question. Mickey, will you sing with Vlad for all the cheeseheads? Let's go, Vlad. Just join him when you know the song. Uh, Gary, Jolly, you can join in too, but not too much. Your singing is shit. <laughs> you are no, I can't smile without you. I can't smile without you. I can't laugh. And I can't sing. I'm finding it hard to, to do, do anything. anything. You see, I... Steve and Jolly sing. Okay, that's enough. I feel glad that you're glad. If, if you, you only knew what I'm going through, through I, just I just can't, can't smile without, without you. you. Oh, how about that, Vlad? Mickey and I were amazing. You are terrible, Jolly. We cannot make this any better. But happy coming on top of the upstate to all the cheeseheads. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Gary Stevens, pleasure. it's always a pleasure to have you. Mickey Hazard, this has been a, a child of the 1980s dream come true. I used to have both of you guys up on my wall um, until I took them down and put up the ladies from Baywatch. But uh, <laughs> it was, uh, when I was a primary school student, you guys were absolute legends. And it's just a... And you still are. It's been magnificent having you on the show. And I hope to do this again with you sometime. Shout out to you, Paul. I hope you're feeling better soon. Good night from me. And Yes, get well soon, fellas. It is not fun abusing when you're sick. It is like a leg is missing. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And come on, you Spurs. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, cheers, Aaron. Aaron. Always Speak enjoyed it. Soon. Cheers, Mickey. I'll be in touch, mate. Speak to you soon. See you soon, Steve. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Podcast Network.